corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Friends, good morning. Good morning. Good. It's good to see everyone this morning on this uh, wet Sunday morning for this third hour of worship on this Lord's Day here at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. Special welcome to those of you who are with us for the first time, whether you're here in the room or you're live streaming uh, online, we're so glad that you have chosen to be part of worship. Before we begin our time together, I invite you to stand and move about the sanctuary, find a face you don't recognize, and let's say good morning and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. First scripture lesson this morning comes to us from Psalm 80, verses 7 through 15. If you'd like to follow along, it can be found on page 511 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. Listen for God's word to you and to me this day. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, our second scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4b through 14. You can follow along on page 187 in your New Testament pew Bibles. Listen now for God's word. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, 
as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, please pray with me. Good and gracious and loving God, may you still our bodies and quiet our minds and set our sights on you. Open our ears and open our hearts to what you might have us hear and do today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. In case some of you are considering or resisting a call to ordained ministry, I thought I'd walk you through the process. It begins with a call or a tug towards ministry that is initiated by the Holy Spirit, experienced by you, and affirmed by other people. The requirements for ordination are unique to each and every denomination, but within the Presbyterian Church, there are typically three years worth of oral and written exams to pass and essays to write, in addition to the fulfillments that you must require, that are required in seminary. As you might imagine, some of these hoops are helpful and some seem less so, yet each hoop is designed to affirm your call and determine your readiness for ministry. Now, after receiving my call to this church, my last hoop was an examination on the floor of the Atlanta Presbytery, which is comprised of pastors and elders from Presbyterian churches around the Atlanta area. So at this particular Presbytery meeting, during my examination, when they could have asked me anything, when they could have asked me anything about Reformed theology, church governance, scripture, worship, or the sacraments, 
They ask me this, what is your favorite book of the New Testament and why? Friends, God is good all the time. What is my favorite book of the New Testament? I answered, Philippians. And that's not just because I prefer Paul in prison. I'm thankful some of you got that because it's a pretty churchy joke. It was a safer space at Presbytery. It's a pretty churchy joke and it's one that frankly I wouldn't have gotten prior to seminary. It's because Paul wrote letters when he was in prison and he wrote others when he wasn't and there's a decidedly different tone. When he's not in prison, Paul tends to say things like, imitate me. But when he is in prison, he tends to say things like, imitate Christ. When he's not in prison, Paul tends to concern himself with a matter of subjects, such as whether we should sacrifice meat to idols or whether women should speak in the church. But here, <laughs> But here, as Paul writes to the Philippians from his prison cell, he repeats a phrase in Greek that most literally means the things that really matter. In prison, Paul's focus is clear. It's not about him. It's about Jesus. And it's Christ alone who strengthens us. And that's the thing that really matters. Now, I don't know if you've ever stepped foot in a prison, but it's not hard to imagine that they're cold, dark, and hopeless. The primary difference between a first century prison and prisons today is their purpose. Back then, Prisons were holding places for trials and executions. Incarceration itself wasn't the punishment. It's whatever potentially lied ahead before you that was. In our text, though, Paul realizes that his prison is partly personal. Part of his prison is his privilege or aspects of his identity that he has that not everybody else does. Things about his identity that give him power and prestige. If you think you have reasons to brag, Paul writes, I have more. For starters, I'm a Jew. I've been Jewish my whole life. I was born a Jew and circumcised on the eighth day of my life, not later, and I'm proud of that. I'm a member of God's chosen people, Israel. I'm part of God's covenant community, part of the community that gave you laws to help you worship one God and one God only. And furthermore, I'm a Pharisee which means I take the Bible and God's commandments seriously. Ask anyone I know and they'll tell you that I take God and God's laws very seriously. 
My loyalty to God is unmatched. Yet here I sit, behind bars, and you know what I've realized? None of this matters. None of what I used to value has value. I actually consider all these things worthless as if they're garbage. Because righteousness isn't found in anything other than my faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that I've arrived at a place in which I know that and embody that all the time, but I strive towards it. Because as easy as it may be to give up, I press on because Christ compels me. Friends, after the last few weeks we've had, it might be easy to lose hope, to give up. Because first there was Harvey, then Irma, then Maria, and then Vegas. It seems we found ourselves in a cycle of devastation. And sometimes those cycles can feel like cold, dark, and hopeless prisons. Awakening Monday morning to news about Las Vegas alarmed me, but it didn't surprise me. As awful as it sounds, I've come to expect another mass shooting will take place somewhere. I'm only surprised by when and where. I hate that I feel that way. I hate that I feel that way, but it sometimes doesn't feel like things will change. It seems like we're in our own cyclical prisons of sending our thoughts and prayers to victims and their families as we continue to debate our right to live and if that right is better protected and respected by being armed or not. And all of that can leave me feeling numb, hopeless, and detached by tragedies like these. But that's because there's no greater prison than my mind. While I'm grateful that I can't access the mental state of someone prepared to kill innocent people, I can access the mind of someone who reads the news and sometimes feels numb, hopeless, and detached. This whole week, I've struggled with what to say and what to write, what to present to you this morning. If I wasn't preaching, to be honest, I wouldn't have wrestled so deeply with my own sense of hopelessness sometimes, my own lack of confidence that things will improve, that we'll be able to move forward rather than stay stuck in these cycles of debate that don't seem to generate positive or productive change. Yet as I wrestled, I found comfort in Paul's words to the Philippians. I started thinking about things that really matter, like my family and my friends. 
I started thinking about all of the good things in my life and in our community that bring me joy. Even though Paul's in prison, it's remarkable to me that joy is one of his principal themes in his letter to the Philippians. While sitting in a prison cell, he writes about things that really matter and things that bring him joy. So taking my cues from Paul, I started thinking about those things. I start, started thinking about the first responders and good people who showed up and helped strangers. I started thinking about all the doctors and nurses who worked and are still working to save lives. And I started thinking about what an enormous gift it is to do ministry with you. I started thinking about all the ways that we need each other, that we care for each other and show up for one another. I started thinking about all the ways that we're the church. And then I remembered that while we have some agency, that it's not all up to us. And for that, friends, I give God thanks. The good news is that while it might be tempting sometimes to give up, while it might be tempting to not continue to move forward, God calls us forward. God urges us to press on toward the goal, and the goal is always the kingdom. God's kingdom of love and justice and peace. The kingdom that is now, here within this space, and not yet. The kingdom that exists beyond our wildest imaginations. The kingdom that soars among and beyond us, that goes on and on and on and lasts forever. The kingdom that calls us to love and seek justice and walk humbly with God, remembering it's God who saves us from whatever prisons we create. Friends, the best news is that today isn't all we have. God's promise in Jesus is that there's more to life than death and there's more life to come. So what lies ahead? God's kingdom. And what lies ahead when we release ourselves from our prisons? Freedom. Freedom. Freedom comes when we realize that all that we have and all that we are apart from Christ is worthless. Freedom comes from wrestling with our demons and seeking help when we need it. It comes from surrendering our hopelessness to the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. It comes from shifting our gaze from behind us to in front of us, to the one who came to set us free. It comes, friends, when we, when we keep our eyes on the prize, and the prize is always the kingdom. And freedom comes when we press on, even when it's tempting to give up. 
when we press on towards the kingdom, trusting that whatever prisons in which we find ourselves are only slight, momentary afflictions that won't last forever. God's kingdom lasts forever. That's why we keep looking forward to the one who pursues us and calls us to pursue God back. That's who sets us free. And that's why it's on him we set our sights and it's in his kingdom we stake our hope. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, friends, may it be so. Amen. And now, having been inspired and challenged by these words, I invite you, either in body or spirit, to stand and let us affirm what we believe together using these words from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we gather here this morning in this time and space, again surrounded by coldness, by darkness and dampness. Storms of all kinds swirling around us. And so we give you thanks for this place, for sanctuary, for stillness, for an escape. But we were reminded that even here in this safe space, sometimes, oh God, even here, we still feel like persecutors of the church. We still feel like captives, whether it's chains or bars or perhaps our thoughts that confine us, that limit our understanding of who you are and where you are in the world that numb us and prevent us from seeing and recognizing the things in our lives that really matter. And so we ask again, O oh God, for you to restore us, for you to free us and give us the strength and the courage to surrender to you again. 
Because, oh God, we do really deeply want to know you more. We press on, straining, even through pain, because we do want to know you. And so we ask for your strength. We ask for your courage. We ask for a new persistence and endurance as we continue to move forward. That we too might have eyes on the only and ultimate prize of your kingdom, where there is love and peace and joy. And so we keep walking. And we keep praying, starting with the prayer that you teach us and taught your disciples to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers forward as they come to collect our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings to God.